Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo. He is Johnny. We've got an NFL draft. We've got a quarterback coming home to the rescue. And we got the Battle of Winterfell. So we'll get to all that stuff. The Winterfell stuff comes at the end, of course. Also going to be joined by Terry McLaurin, which is a rare treat. And, and one of the great friends of the program is uh, we'll discuss uh, what, it ha- what had to be a wild uh, weekend for him as well as he ends up playing with Dwayne Haskins again. But, Johnny, let's start with the draft. Um, and I think the the overwhelming story from the Ohio State perspective is Dwayne Haskins and his fall. Now, by the time you're hearing this, if you're Dwayne Haskins or you're a fan, you've probably say, you know what? All for the best. The Redskins had a great, great draft. Um, he gets to be the franchise quarterback of an iconic franchise. Uh, but at the same time, there it would be absurd not to also acknowledge that the idea that him being the third quarterback taken in this draft is so hard for me to wrap my mind around my friend. And I'm just left just wondering how and why I, <laughs> you know, I was sitting there and I was like, you know, I, I we just got done the week before saying they're going to make the right move. They're going to make the smart yeah. move. It, there's no reason why they wouldn't. And I don't know why I am just continually surprised by the NFL's ability to screw something like this up. And it's, it's it's amazing to me, like listening to the justifications after the fact is just, I don't know. It, it's an incredible exercise in shot in front of it because you just watch this and you're like, you, you must be the dumbest man alive. You know, we talking yeah. about like Dwayne being the big 12 and all this other stuff. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's baffling and it should be more predictable than it was. Uh, but I guess, you know, I had a little more faith than I should have in the process. So. Well, one of the really kind of shocking narratives to me that came <laughs> afterwards um, was this idea that Dwayne Haskins' dad was a bit of a show father? Um, okay, I'd heard that from a lot of people. Um, no, I, I, I know I don't. I don't doubt that you heard that. I, I just it just drives me crazy that this is like. Where and I have no idea. I don't know if it's true or not. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, this is what I will say about it. Um, but I've heard that from. I've, I've made some calls around the NFL, and and that seems to be what I was hearing. That doesn't seem. That is what I heard. And um, and then I saw some of it in the media as well that his dad was kind of a bit over overbearing and scared some teams away. They were worried about a you know Lavar Ball type situation. Sure. My response to that would be, to my knowledge, and better than that, to the knowledge of James Laurinaitis, who I do a radio show with every day in Columbus, um, who was on Big Ten Network broadcast, the number one team, and would have had incredible access to Ohio State. And oh, by the way, is a Hall of Famer and knows people on the coaching staff. He said at no point was Dwayne's dad ever an issue at Ohio State. Yeah. So the idea that he was going to be an issue now is it just seems farcical to me and almost seems made up um, as as like a I just I don't it's hard for me to buy it based on what we saw in Columbus, where it was a complete non-issue. And if by the way, if anyone was going to have an ability to gripe, it would have been Dwayne, who never griped about playing time or anything. Yeah. No, he was he was mo- he was a model citizen at Ohio State. He did everything that was asked of him, and you know that's <laughs> I can speak from the eleven Warriors, and that's something that I don't think has ever come up in our coverage of Dwayne Haskins. That I mean, that's I think that's ludicrous. I also think that that's uh, sometimes people searching after the fact to try to make sense of a really stupid decision. Yeah, and look. It, the truth of the matter is that I think Dwayne Haskins ended up in a better situation with Washington than he would have with the Giants because the the it looks like the management of the Giants doesn't really know what they're doing right now, and you know the the Redskins drafted pretty well. You get to throw to a guy that you are familiar with, who's going to have a chance to have pretty significant playing time that we're going to talk to in a few minutes, 
And, you know, it sucks that he missed out on millions of dollars because of his, his slide down the draft board. But, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's baffling. It's dumb on the face of it. I mean, you can just I don't know how you can even compare the two quarterbacks. And, and what Gettleman was saying is like, well, I, lo- I saw three series at the Senior Bowl that really just sold it for me. I'm like, that had to have been the only series that you saw. Because clearly there was no other evidence that you could have possibly come up with to say that Dwayne Haskins was not a better quarterback than the guy that you picked. So, you know, it was dumb, but I think in the long term, it'll work out better for Dwayne Haskins, which I'm happy with. I want to see him be successful. Yeah. And it's an iconic team. And, and, and by the way, by the way, a guy who he plays a lot alike is in the front office there in Doug Williams. I mean, is right. a big pocket passer with a big arm, iconic Washington Redskin for about a million reasons. Um, what better role model for Dwayne to to learn from and and be under than than Doug? So I mean, that's that that this could end up being a really good situation for him in Washington and kind of waking up that sleeping giant of Redskins football. Dwayne aside, which Buckeye landing spot did you like most? Uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned it. I think I think Terry going to to Washington is really great for him. I I was really happy as a Bengals fan to see Michael Jordan ending up in Cincinnati. That that is yeah. really nice. Usually they got to shore up that offensive line. I think he's going to be really good for them, probably on the right side of the line. And uh, I was I was actually really excited about that. I think that one's fun. Yeah, though uh, there were uh, look, no one in you're in the NFL. There's no such thing as a bad landing spot. But in right. terms of uh, a a pristine landing spot, Paris Campbell to the Colts just struck me as oh, yeah. a home run. <laughs> um, you think about what he did on that turf in the Big Ten championship game. I just feel like he can just light it up there, and to have Andrew Luck and that team really, you know, that team might be one of the that it's certainly one of the up and comers in the AFC. And now with a, with a healthy Andrew Luck, a, a team now with what's happened in Kansas City with uh, you don't know who's going to be there and who's not. I mean, they, they are right there behind the Patriots and maybe with the Chargers and a couple others as like the teams to beat in the AFC. So what an incredible landing spot for him. Got some Buckeyes over there who can kind of show him the ropes a little bit. I thought that was a really, really nice landing spot. But again, the real story, and this is something we discussed last week, was this is – this was just the, a further confirmation of the overriding urban effect of just an absurd amount of talent. The 2014 recruiting class and the amount of kids off of that class who are in the league is nuts. The fact that you could hit, what is it, like 14 of them, 12 yeah. of them? I mean, it's an insane amount of kids. And not just, and nope, not really bums, like contributors. It's wild to think what they accomplished in recruiting at Ohio State under Urban Meyer. I went back uh, this past weekend. I was just looking at some of the old bowl games in the past, you know, basically since the national championship and you see the names that are called on a regular basis. And it's just, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling to think of how much talent has really been fed into the NFL in just the last few years, because it's just, it's everybody. And it's, I mean, it, it really goes to show how much recruiting really matters in college football, but also the faith that NFL teams have given Ohio state players. And, 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 I think the proof has been in the pudding. Like you've seen the kind of production that you've gotten from these really, really significant yep. guys. Uh, I mean, there's been a couple of disappointments, but overall, I mean, th- these guys have made huge impacts in the NFL and the league. And oh, I urban. don't see any reason why that won't continue. Yeah, no, Urban at Ohio State, that marriage. Um, and I think it was, you know, he could take a different uh, character kid at Ohio State than he felt like sometimes he had to take at Florida. Sure. So the combination of taking, for the most part, really good kids, and their ability to identify and then develop, it, it put them as the preeminent producer 
of professional football talent in college right. football. Right. Um, yeah. And th- that's something uh, to, when you, when you're in an era of Alabama and Clemson, the way those two programs have it now to be at the, right now, better than even them at that. That's an incredible legacy uh, for urban and for his program as, as this kind of closes the chapter on it a little bit. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, it's also a nice, really comfortable brand to have. You know what I mean? When, when you can establish yourself as this NFL pipeline, essentially, as a college football program. I mean, that's yeah. that's a really nice thing to be able to sell yourself on because then you don't have to say like, well, we, you know, like you're talking about with, with kids who might be like questionable in terms of like their fit for the team or character issues or things like that. You can basically say, look, this is for the best of the best. You want to go to the NFL, period. And if you have the confidence in yourself to be able to do that and you think you can mesh with what we do with our system, then come on to Ohio State. That's that puts you in a very advantageous recruiting position instead of having to kind of ask kids to come. You've got kids wanting to be there and they're going to do what it takes, you know, and and to fit in your system to do what you want to do. So that's that's nice. And it's going to take a while for Ryan Day to have that kind of cachet. But, um, you know, if Dwayne Haskins goes in and lights it up then that's going to help him quite a bit. Well, that's geez. Talk about <laughs> talk about yeah, the one because that's Ryan Day's that's, dude. That's his guy. So, yeah, 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 that's his guy. So that'll you know he can sell that, and we're seeing it in recruiting, which brings us full circle to the panic of a couple of weeks ago of we have no quarterbacks um, <laughs> right. behind behind Mister Fields to now we do. Gunner Hope comes home. Um, he is a Dublin Kaufman kid who goes to Kentucky and is now coming back and and was in the portal and and very quickly. Uh, comes back to Ohio State. The company line is that he will compete for the job. He really is a um, pretty considerable, um, from an experience standpoint, and and being around. He's. I would think they would give him a real run at it. Um, I mean, obviously Fields is far and away the front runner, but um, Justin Fields is just a freshman, and and Hoke is a guy who you know he's going to get a real run at it. I, he's does. He's not the talent of Fields, but you want to talk about an insurance policy. This is one in spades and one that I didn't think was quite possible, to be honest with you, Johnny. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a guy, he's got, you know, the pedigree, he's got the stats, all that kind of things. But uh, that, I think, should assuage the fears of Ohio State fans. And we talked about it, you know, you get one guy who goes down and then what's going to happen. I think he's a pretty good insurance policy. I don't don't expect him to get the starting position, but he's talented enough to push fields a little bit, which is another thing that you want, especially going into fall camp. So that's... Yeah, it, it, that's an ideal transfer situation. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I, I mean, we just didn't think it was possible. No, I didn't think they could not get a that short order. <laughs> no, and it would happen in two weeks. So, I mean, right. so much for doubting Ryan Day, and it speaks to, yeah, you know, Ryan and just what what he's been able to do, you know, in recruiting both with the Fields and now Hoke, how he's been able to sell kids on the idea of, of the program and and doing it, and um, it's it's a hell of a job. It really is. He's off to as good a start as you can be. Uh, under the circumstances, which are, you know, there's, this is, these are big shoes to be filled, but this is a yeah. nice insurance policy and it, it lets you take a little bit of a deep breath as you head into, head into the summer and the off season and so forth. Um, a little bit later on, we'll do ask us anything. We will do the game of Thrones uh, recap, a monster recap on game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, but coming up next, we will visit with our good buddy, Terry McLaurin, Washington Redskin, but always a Buckeye, Terry McLaurin. He'll join the program coming up next. Before we do that, though, I want to be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. And now with great pleasure, we bring on our guest, our good buddy, Terry McLaurin, Washington Redskin. Terry McLaurin. That's got a nice ring to it, man. It has a great ring to it. I think it's a perfect fit for me. <laughs> how about how, – all right, let's 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 go through your process and, and how mm-hmm. this comes about for you. Take us through 
Friday night for you. Uh, take us through what that was like as you were waiting and um, mm-hmm. as you finally got the call. Uh, well, uh, Friday was, was a great night for my family and I and my friends. Um, I had roughly about, I'd say probably about 20, 25 people here at my house in Indy. And, um, you know, I, I've pretty much had a feeling that I'd be drafted uh, day two. So I set up to have my celebration then. And, uh, you know, I'm waiting. And then um, second round goes by. I was just believing I was going to be in round two where, I, I mean, I was believing I was going to be on day two. I didn't know round two or round three. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sitting there talking to one of my good buddies. That's my neighbor. And, uh, you know, just just having casual conversation. Then I see a Virginia number pop up, and I didn't really think much of it, but I knew it was probably a team. <laughs> and then because uh, I hadn't been watching the TV at the time, because what I wanted to do, I didn't want to get too anxious. So I wasn't sitting down watching pick by pick. I was talking to my family and my friends. I was eating. I was just moving around, trying to stay busy. Yeah. And then uh, they said, this is uh, Jay Gruden with the, with the Redskins. And I was like, you know, wow. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then uh, he put Mr. Schneider on the phone and, and um, Ike, the receivers coach. And I pretty much talked to everybody and they were just so excited to have me. And, uh, you know, he one of the things he said was like, how do you feel about being a Redskin and catching passes from Dwayne again? And, you know, obviously me, I'm shoot. <laughs> doesn't sound like it gets too much better than that. Uh, but, uh, you know, then I got the call and it's just, jubilation erupted from my from my basement so it was a it was a really special day that sounds i mean amazing and i'm I'm glad i'm glad you're able to have that and obviously it's it's incredibly well earned uh have they talked to you about you know what kind of role they see for you like where they expect you to kind of fit in terms of their offense well they they love my versatility and um it's ironic because um you know i didn't talk with them extensively through this process um um, one of the things they, that stood out to them was they came to Ohio State's Pro Day and I just stuck out to them. And um, they they liked my ability to have an advanced route tree. I could run pretty much any route. And uh, um, they're just looking for me to come in and, and, and show the things that I did at Ohio State. Um, but inside and outside, I think are uh, definitely possibly in my future and just uh, going in with an open mind and, and whatever they ask me to do. Terry, one of the things you talk to when you t- when I talk to you know former Buckeyes who have gone pro and uh, you spend some time around the league is is the situ- is once you get past where you got drafted, the far more significant thing is who drafted you. And right. and, and when I think about, I, I just don't know how you can do better than this. I mean, like you you're drafted with Dwayne. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you're it's like starting on second base, man. Like you you know Dwayne so well, he knows you. Yeah as he starts to break into the league, you break in with him and you guys yeah. already have a relationship. I mean, one of the things that I do a lot of stuff with the Browns and one of the things that, you know, that they got to work on is all right, now we got to get a receiver and a quarterback on the same page. That's not a right. problem here. Right. Oh no, no, definitely. That's why that's a big reason why I feel like it's a perfect fit for me. Um, you know, Dwayne knows me and I know Dwayne and uh, we just have that telepathy going on between us. I mean, just the, the, the big play, in the um, Big Ten Championship where I made the double move, he didn't know I was going to do it. And I mm. did it, and he looked up the safety, and he threw it anyway because he just trusted me like that. Wow. Uh, he knew I was going to get my job done. And that's the type of um, relationship that we've had and we've developed and that we hope to continue at the next level. But, um, you know, one thing I've been telling everybody, you know, it's kind of tough coming in as a rookie receiver, and then you obviously you want to earn the respect of your coaches and the other teammates, but your quarterback being a receiver, that's the main thing. 
and right. the fact that I have his and he's going to be competing for a starting job. And, you know, we're kind of starting on the same same path, rookies at the bottom trying to work our way up. And, you know, if I need extra work after practice, I could just go to Dwayne. If he wants extra work, he'd come to me. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to uh, beg a veteran because they may be necessarily on a different level or have some other things going on. So just having that type of relationship, um, you know, I feel like that's going to be great for the both of us. So let's 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 game plan out the next like three months or so. What 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 is like yep. your number one priority uh, starting you know going into the summer here? Uh, learn the playbook. Um, that's the number one thing. I feel like um, the quicker I can learn the playbook, um, the quicker I can adapt to the NFL um, speed of the game, um, just the philosophy, the terminologies. Um, so just studying that playbook as much as I can um, is my number one priority, and um, just being that guy that they, they felt like they drafted, just um, a guy that's on time, who's prepared, who works really hard, and somebody they could trust. I want to develop that really early. And so that translates onto the field. Perry, I just think it's – do you even – as you go into the weekend, is it ever in the back of your head that you could end up with Dwayne? Like, do you even dare to dream that? It didn't cross my mind, to be yeah. completely honest. Because um, so many things – I mean, the number one question I feel like all drafts uh draftees or possible draft picks get is where do you think you'll go and it's really impossible to know um like i said i didn't have um a visit with the redskins i didn't have a meeting with them at the combine i met with them a little bit at the senior bowl but that was about it um but when i saw that virginia number come up i was like wow <laughs> you know it's, it's, the, it's the it's the redskins i didn't that one didn't cross my mind and the night before Dwayne was you know talking about uh you know uh, I'm going to push to try to get you. I don't know how much influence he really had, but, um, you know, you don't really think even think any much of that because just so many things that happened during that draft process and the, in the draft itself. So, um, but I'm thankful it did work out the way it did. Well, you are going to an organization that, um, I'm quite a bit older than you and they were, uh -huh. this was an organization <laughs> that was one of the, one of the giant organizations in the history of the NFL and and mm -hmm. it's glory years of the 80s and and Doug Williams is still there now in the front office and I yep. think boy what a great mentor for Dwayne um but but they were that was that is an iconic franchise um that mm -hmm. is a historical franchise of significance many many I think similarities between Ohio State and the Redskins in terms of what right. it means and then you go into the one of the most competitive great historically significant divisions in the nfc east um yes. this is I, I would just think this would <laughs> you would be so jacked up to be involved with all that yeah i'm i'm extremely excited and um i just can't wait to get uh to washington and, and get started and learn even more about the tradition and um you know i've had some interaction with some fans and um, just this is I'm learning really fast. This is a pretty big fan base and they and they really oh. love their Redskins. So um <laughs> I'm just I'm just I mean it's crazy. I didn't even really appreciate it until until now. Um because we don't catch any Redskins game here in Indianapolis. So right. um unless they're on prime time, I don't really get to see them a lot. But um, you know, I'm just really looking forward to the opportunity and and um put my best foot forward really. Actually, I'm curious about that with regard to, you know, Redskin fans versus like Ohio State fans. Like, is that right. do you think maybe that's something that's prepared you for that kind right. of experience? Oh, most definitely. Um, I don't think there's a bigger fan base than Buckeye Nation, um, you know, just across all sports, and especially <laughs> in college football. I think it's uh, unmatched. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see how 
um, the Redskins fans except me and 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 just looking forward to interacting with them and and hopefully getting involved into the community. And those are things I'm really looking forward to in this new journey. You know, you hit on something there. That's um, that that's I, I think about your ability to lead and and the way you've carried yourself. You're going to the nation's capital. Like this can go. This yeah. can be beyond football. I mean, this is most definitely. I mean, this is a real opportunity to do significance. You know, in whatever whatever. Not I'm not trying to put that on you, but I mean, I just right. It seems like a natural fit for you. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, you're going into political capital of the world and um you know i'm just looking to go in and and be that 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 person that people can count on and people trust and um you know just the reputation i built at ohio state i want to continue that in washington and um just continue to um be that person that people look to and and, and admire and and want to work with and be teammates with and friends with so um, i'm sure there'll be opportunities that arise where i can um you know, be a leader and things like that. But really, I'm going in just looking to learn. And yeah. I'm I'm trying to be a sponge, learn from anybody I can. Uh, I'm not going in with a, an idea that, oh, I need to be a leader right away because they already have their established leaders. But I know I have that ability and so does the Redskins organization. And uh, but I'm mainly just looking to learn. Oh, no. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're not in a position to take all that on, but I, I just vision a career for you there and it would seem to be a heck of a fit for you. Um, the, the the door in terms of you as a you'll always be a Buckeye. I mean, the, the brotherhood mm-hmm. will last for the rest of your life. And it's something that that you're always you're always going to be a Buckeye. And that and that's one of the great right. things about Ohio State. I think even more than um, most places that I've been around have has, is that there is a special um, I don't know, bond if you play at Ohio State that bonds you to that school. Uh, but now that you're, you know, I guess this is the in one in one instance that chapter has closed now is in terms of you mm-hmm. being a player for Ohio State. As you look back on it and you think from recruiting and you boy, pretty good class you came in with. Um, oh yeah. And you think about from recruiting uh, to development to what happened on the field to now being drafted. Um, how do you put that journey into words? Um. Just the one thing that just comes in my mind is just the countless hours of work and prayers that I put in. Um, you know, I had ups and downs, and then I graduated in three and a half years as well. So I was taking 18 hours or more throughout my uh, throughout my career at Ohio State academically. And uh, just the one thing that always stuck out was that prevailed was my hard work, just the perseverance of the support system I had. And uh, I feel so prepared for not just football, but life after football, whenever this game ends for me because of Ohio State. And, um, you know, I'm not nervous at all um, going into this new situation because, um, you know, there's going to be new challenges and and this is a new journey. But, um, you know, I feel I've I've developed the ability to adapt and learn quickly. And I feel like that's going to suit me well at the next level on and off the field. So um, just looking back at my journey, I wouldn't do anything different going into looking for a, a, a college I wanted somewhere I was going to be maximized fully, and Ohio State was it. So, um, you know, it was it was the perfect perfect fit for me. Terry, we we thank you for the way you represented uh, Buckeye Nation, the way you represented the school, the way you represented your family. Just a just total upright citizen and a great human being, and it it make it gives us great pleasure to see you go into a great situation. And I can't wait to watch it with the Redskins, man. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Uh, thank you guys for having me, and um, it's been a pleasure to represent. Um, just this great university, and I know this will continue into the NFL. So, hopefully, for those listening and uh, Buckeye fans, they can root root for the Redskins in some form or fashion as well. So, I appreciate you guys. <laughs>
We will do that. <laughs> they we will do well. They definitely will. There's uh, no doubt, man. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good one. Hey, friends, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. All right. Um, ask us anything. I'm told by you that there are some Thrones questions there. Um, so now let's just get into that portion of the program. We'll just get <laughs> right. into the Thrones portion. This was an 82-minute episode of Game of Thrones. It was the Battle of Winterfell. It was... Um, it was it's funny i was i was texting with like the, the group of people you were one of them uh but i was also texting with uh, james laurinaitis and bobby carpenter and and several other guys all at the same time and it, the, the common theme throughout was that everyone was piss nervous and and james <laughs> oh, said God. james goes james goes dude i've got butterflies as big as any time i ever played at the shoe like he was that <laughs> nervous for what was going to happen in this thing um and then it happens. Um, how do you want to break this down? Do you want to just go big arcing things? Do you want to kind of go through the 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 show and, and the way that it went chronologically? And then at the end, obviously, we have to get to what the hell, where we go now? Because that's right. narratively, I don't know what, where we are. Um, Tell you what, let's, so let's go ahead. What You go ahead. Here's what I would suggest. Let's go ahead and just hit on like our top three most significant things that happened in the episode. The, the things that are going to have an impact both in terms of the episode itself being awesome and then maybe going forward the next couple episodes. Okay. I'm down with that. Before we do a couple of things that I want to say right out of the gates. Number one, okay. from a film making perspective, this was a, a masterclass and I, you'll never, you may never <laughs> see something like this again on television that, that oh, is God, no. essentially a standalone feature movie that visually has the lighting of, of Melisandre riding that horse in and lighting the Dothraki swords up, them charging in what I think is one of the five dumbest plans, and Jon Snow's had a lot of them <laughs> of all time. Um, yeah. and, then, and then those lights extinguishing was to start it like that, um, the, the, the overwhelming nature of the weights as they just kept coming and coming and coming and coming, um, the, the incredible dragon battles. Um, just there's an image that's a piece of art of the two dragons just hanging in the air above the clouds with right, the, the, with the, the moon. background. Oh my just god. The... I mean, stunning. And then for a while it turned into there's a 15 minute stretch where it's a horror movie. It's as good yes. as any horror movie. Um when yes. the crypt come to life. Um, and it's it's a horror movie. It absolutely is. And then you get uh the way that it ends in a way that's I uh, stunning, stunning, stunning. Uh, the way that it all ended. So just, I just wanted to get that out of the way from the perspective of, or I just wanted to acknowledge rather the, the fact that what you saw, you will never see again. I think, I mean, and, and some people I think are like upset because they didn't get battle of the bastards part two. And I think that's what people wanted. They wanted to see like this huge, big, crazy battle. It's like, Oh, we're going to see all the troop movements, blah, blah. That's not what this was. This was a horror movie. And that, I, it was like you said, you're not going to see anything like it. My favorite part of the episode was that middle part where it was like it, it turned into a haunted house movie where there's zombies everywhere. Yeah. And it's like Resident Evil like that. I love that so That's much. Crazy. And uh, the, the tension was ridiculous. It, I mean, it was and again, again, there are all these little nitpicks, but the overall cinematic you know, quality of it, I think, was fantastic that we can have nitpicks about you know, how it was presented on televisions and the darkness and all that other stuff. But the way it was done, I think, is just way more impressive than maybe people are giving it credit for. It was I think it was chaotic on purpose. And I think it, yeah. I do think it sometimes it was a little it was hard for me 
And I told, I was telling you off air, like I had about as ideal of a viewing situation as you can have. And I, right. it was still, there was times where I couldn't tell, you know, what in the hell was happening, especially when the two dragons were fighting. It was hard to, right. that was a little hard to sort out from, from, from time to time. So, all right, let's get to um, the, the big themes for you. And we do have some ask us anything okay. on this as well. So we got a lot of ways we can go here. So let's, yeah, I'll, let's, I'll insert, I'll insert the ask us anything okay. here when we get Perfect. to it because there's, so Tim here, our good buddy Tim, is asking a question specific to something that's kind of towards the end of the episode, and I think we'll I'll bring that up when we get to it. Okay. So my big, I'll I'll just start with my three biggest like thematic moments in terms of like narrative and stuff like that. The end of Melisandre's story, I I really 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 like the culmination of that. Yeah. And I know you always ask me like as a book reader, what are my opinions? And and oftentimes the recent seasons, like I don't have a whole lot because I don't really have a whole lot to base it on um however right one of my yeah one of my absolute favorite chapters of game of thrones and game of thrones for those of you who have not read the the a song of ice and fire books is that uh they are written uh episodically from the perspective of a different character each time so for example you will see a chapter from brand's perspective and then it'll immediately shift to a chapter from danny's perspective and then there'll be a chapter from davos's perspective and it's just it's constantly jumping around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this it's this kind of like you know puzzle that all kind of fits together, and then you kind of piece together a narrative from these different perspectives. You don't see so Melisandre is introduced along with Stannis in the second book. You don't see anything from her perspective until the most recent book, uh, A Dance with Dragons, and she only gets one chapter. And what's really fascinating about that chapter is that up until then, she's like basically this evil witch, right? Like she's Mm -hmm. this evil witch that is like corrupting Stannis and she's crazy and she's got, you know, she's clearly like in the service of some horrible demon or whatever. And when you see her chapter, when you read her chapter, you find out that she's a true believer. She is not an evil witch. She is not a person who is like trying to just like take power for herself. She truly believes that what she's doing is going to defeat the Night's King and this evil that's coming on Westeros. She may not be doing the right things and she's not very good at it all the time, but she truly believes in what she's doing. And that culmination of her storyline where she fulfilled her purpose in Westeros, she helped defeat the Night's King. Like that was immensely satisfying for me because that's one of my favorite chapters out of all the books because it completely makes you do a 180 on her character. Mm-hmm. And um, to see her like light the pits and <laughs> finally like, you know, just kind of like take her jewel off and then revert back to her actual form, which is like a like a 500 year old woman who's just been kind of shambling around Westeros for years. Um, it was just awesome, and and she fulfilled her destiny, and I loved loved that aspect of it. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, that that was incredible. It, why don't we let's just do your three because okay. I, I think we could double up on some, and then I can comment. I I thought that from a pure television viewers perspective of this have someone who had not read the books i thought they did an incredible they've done this with and it speaks to how great their character building is george sure. r. r martins and these guys that are doing it on the on the tv weiss and benioff um that that it felt everything you explained that happened in the books i felt like happened in the show yes yeah like and i you, believe you, yeah, you, you the, get her perspective yeah. right Exactly. I do. I totally got it. Like, I think I, I, you know, and it's funny because of where she, what she was in the beginning, <clears throat> if you think about how she got Renly and all of that stuff yeah. to, to what she ended up um, and this, you know, the saving of John and just disillusioned with what happened with Stannis and all of it. Right. Like, um, you know, the fact that the Shireen thing didn't work like that was all, um, 
you know, I, th I thought there's a very human side to her, and um, yeah. I did not expect it to be her writing in. I mean, I, yeah, I thought that was I badass. Uh, that. That, that was pretty badass. Uh, the second thing for me, narratively, I mean, it was just in terms of the fact that you have these kind of characters like struggling and, and surviving to all the stuff that they need to do. But the 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 show turning into like a horror movie and having this like haunted house kind of thing halfway through was one of my absolute favorite things. I love watching. Here's the thing. And, and we're going to get to this, but I love watching Arya have to basically survive her own ancestral home. Right. That's been yes. invaded. And like that that there was a lot to that there are a lot of elements to that that i really really enjoyed because this is that's her home like she knows that you know like the back of her hand and watching you know the hound and barrack you know try to guide her through this this hellscape i think was a lot of fun to watch and then finally um i think one of my favorite things was theon really redeeming his entire character arc and, and bringing it to a close in just an incredible way um you know i that was that was great and his interactions with brand basically saying that he was home and that he was a good man like that that was some heavy stuff for a character who's been through probably the worst things that any character has been through in the the entire series so yeah those three things for me were great and let me I let me really follow up it. let me follow yeah. up on theon really quickly because i'm wondering if this is your book the book reader part of it that allows you to have more give a damn for theon than i do i would because yeah i would say so Okay, because the the I don't care about him, I just don't. Um, yeah, and that's I mean, fair. I mean, he, he did he such a, so like been... to me, his death, his death being like the penultimate death. I thought, eh, okay, like I never bought him protecting Brand to begin with. I thought that was stupid. Like I felt like we could have got yeah. anybody to do what he did, and several who were better. Uh, he fought well. He fought bravely, um, but he was largely incompetent until this season, where suddenly he wasn't. Um, right. and so I was, um, he was, you know, he's kind of a spoiled punk and maybe just the actor didn't work. For, I don't know, but I did not, that scene did not have the payoff for me. And I'm, I bet that's because I didn't read the book. There's probably yeah, the, a lot more to him than they had time to show. He is haunted in the books by his failure, um, both as a great joy and also as a Stark really. And okay. the, the torture that you see him go through in the books is extensive and hard to read. It's really, really rough. Um, they, I mean, they talk about stuff in the books that, that they can't even touch. I mean, I, I know Game of Thrones, like, oh, it's, it's, it goes anywhere. They don't, they do not go as far as they do in the books. The books are okay. way worse with regards to his torture. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, I, I think the arc does have more significance because of what he experiences and what he tries to do in the books. And you also get a lot of his internal you know, monologue in the books. You get to know what he's going through. Um, okay. And I think that changes it quite a bit. So I, I would agree with you. I think that's probably part of it. All right. Let me hit you with some big narrative things that okay. now I, are pretty stunning. Number one, um, this, was, this was the Aria episode. Um, yeah. We have been built up forever that it was john who would kill the night king that he was the prince who was promised he was brought back to serve the lord of light for whatever his purpose is and we assumed that it was to kill the night king um he his battle plan again is is i guess it works in the end um but because they do the, the night king is there although it's not him you know casting the final blow and so narratively that's an awkward spot because I don't know bit. what's next for him. I don't know. It feels like this was the reason he was saved, and now it's not. And I don't know what you. I, I don't. I don't. I, that to me, narratively, is is really wild. Another thing, 
um, is the fact that Danny had really no significant role here. Um, She really wasn't. I mean, like we spent all of our time with those two and the idea, and and I'm sure there's big things for them in the last three episodes, but in terms of this is the one that mattered. And and that's the final thing that I want to get to you narratively. The end, the, the first scene of the pilot of the Rangers going beyond the wall and the Walker annihilating them and it, and several season finales since were, were white walkers moving on to things and right. the night King and this inevitable doom and death. And now he's defeated. Um, I was shocked that they defeated him. I was shocked. And now yeah. with three episodes to go, everything that you would, if you think about how much time this, this story has spent talking about John, Danny, the wall, the watchers on the wall, the, the night's watch, none of that matters. And how could you be, it's all, that's all over. And then like, I think about the people in that room, like how could, why would you even care who's on the iron throne after what right. you've been through? Like who so, cares? So I talked about like this. narratively, I don't know what the hell's going to happen now. And maybe that's by design. Yeah. Well, no, I know that's I threw a lot at you. No, no, no. But that's where I'm at. I, I agree with you. Like, I think that's, that is by narrative design. I, you know, in an ideal world, I think if they, if they were given another, you know, hundred million dollars or whatever, they would probably have stretched out the sequence with the Night King and then, you know, fighting the White Walkers and all that uh, to a couple more. Do you think it would have served the plot better if he would have been the last battle instead no, of Cersei? I don't. And, and okay. here's so, okay. So I totally understand where you're coming from when it comes to like, all right, they, they've been built up as this big thing. And then, you know, you get stabbed by Arya and it's like this perfunctory, like, okay, well, he's gone now. <laughs> yeah. the end. And I get that. And I think some people were surprised by that, but I have, I've said this repeatedly that George R. R. Martin gave an interview. I, he, he talks about his love for Tolkien, <laughs> but he's like, what comes after that? You, you, you beat the big bad guy. You defeat Sauron. You put the ring into the volcano. Great. What happens after that? Like, it shouldn't be everything's all hunky-dory and everybody's happy. And (laughs) I really think that it's emphasizing this idea that, like, yeah, that the White Walkers were huge. And that was an incredibly huge part of this, um, you know, this this story. But it's not the whole story, right? There's You can't just defeat this, you know, this natural, supernatural force. And then, okay, Danny and John are going to be happy forever. There are consequences. There are other things that have to happen. And... Um, I think that's kind of emphasizing that point in this narrative. I don't know that necessarily doing it in this episode was the smartest thing. I think you could have done it with two left and, and maybe stretched this this conflict out a little bit. And I think people would have been more satisfied with that. But uh, narratively, to me, it makes a lot of sense. It, you can't just defeat the White Walkers and say, we won. Like, there's got to be something that comes after that, because that's really kind of the point of Game of Thrones. So it's it's still about the throne, and Cersei's still on it, and she has a really advantageous position right now. She seems like we've talked about. It, she's the smartest person in Westeros at this point. Yeah, um, it, I mean, clearly when you're when you're going against the great you know brain trust of of Danny and John, right? <laughs> it's kind of hard don't. not to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing that I'll say, and people have been kind of complaining about this a little bit, is is Arya's role in the. Um, in the finale, I mean, her character had been built up for years as like she's yeah. trained to be an assassin ninja, right? Who can do whatever. And I'm like, is it really that? Like, and not only that, but they set up Brand giving her cat's paw much earlier, right? Like last oh, I have, season. I, I right? have where, no where, problem. Where he said, with "This her is role. yours. You're going to need to use this." 
Like this is something that they've decided on for a while now. Um, when this is something a lot of people didn't catch, but Melisandre referred to this. This is from season two, yeah. when uh, when the uh, the Brotherhood without banners captured all of them, right? The Hound and and Arya and all them, mm-hmm. and she told her like Melisandre told Arya, "I see blood in your future. You're going to kill people with brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes." Mm-hmm. And she reminded her of that in this yeah. episode. That that's going back. <laughs> years six seasons and it it fulfills a a prophecy so i think it makes more sense than people realize um i have no issue we actually got sorry to interrupt but the question we got from ask us anything was about where the hell did Arya come from from tim uh can she fly uh the night king was surrounded by an army of zombies and white walkers um it's it's her home turf right like we one of the things about Bran's character is that he was constantly like crawling across roofs and jumping across places. She can get to the Godswood probably pretty easily. She knows where she's at. Um, she's an assassin ninja. I'm not, that doesn't bother me too much that she could have snuck in there and, and attacked the Night's King. No, I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any yeah. problem with her being the one who did it. I think right. it's fantastic. I think she's worked for it. She deserved it. I assume that maybe somehow she'd be involved more with Cersei. Like she yeah. can't kill Cersei now. She can't have all the deaths that matter. No, I don't think that she can do that. I think the more interesting thing to me, rather than than with with Arya, is what's next for that character. Like, right. do you just go with Gendry and have kids in in Winterfell? Like, what do you? How, what is that? What's life like for Arya Stark after this? I mean, you you are the you've saved the realms of men, single handedly. I mean, it was done, and you did it. Like, what are your what is your ambition? Do you even? I mean, beyond just being what she's been, but I think the bigger issue is John. Is yeah. what is his purpose? I mean, his whole purpose was this, and I think the same can be said for Danny, whose whole purpose was to sit on the Iron Throne, and it's very clear as you look to the scenes for next week that she is gonna that she's getting right back on her purpose but she does not have dothraki anymore she's or unsullied or really cut down so she's gonna have to get some help and maybe that's you know uh old boy from across the sea with his uh the what are those guys what's his name uh dario naharis and those guys oh yeah oh yeah yeah maybe they come help her Yeah, I mean, maybe those guys. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. Absolutely, especially with the fleet they showed in the preview. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that you know, something like that could happen. But like, you know, what's John's purpose? So okay, so this is another interesting thing that they could set up because a lot of people are wondering, well, if John's supposed to be like the prince that was promised, and he's the child of prophecy and all that. I mean, that's that's literally why uh, his father tried to get with his mother because he was trying to fulfill this prophecy to defeat the Night's King. If that's not his purpose, then what is his purpose, right? That's, what is, what is his role? And what, what I actually think is kind of interesting is that Danny's like, well, clearly that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. So if, if we can just ignore prophecy and you're just some dude, right? Like, great. You're, you're, I mean, technically you're the heir to the throne, but like I'm here and I want the throne. I think that sets up a conflict between the two. And now, granted, John never seems to actually want any of the titles that he kind of stumbles into. Um, but I think that's probably a big part of it. I, I think you're going to look at this where, where you know, Danny's going to be like, screw prophecy. Like, prophecy's stupid. Like, you shouldn't have to, just because, like, you've got your name out there and people should respect doesn't mean that you should actually be king. And I think that's where a lot of the, the tension is going to come from, because that obviously is not a settled issue. You know, <laughs> John tells her about he cares, and then they have to right? fight. I, I don't think he cares. I, don't think he cares. I would no, I don't think I I think it would be a bit of a disservice to the character if they all of a sudden made him care about a throne. Like right. 
He's never. This is a guy who, who while he was a bastard, he was a he was a elite bastard, and he chose right. to go to the Night's Watch. Like he didn't have right. to. But like will, he's, he's, but will his sisters care? That's the thing, right? Well, there like, you go. Because maybe, at a certain point, and I, I kind of didn't to the point honestly, just from the standpoint of like we've got three episodes left. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of like John fighting Danny. I I don't see that. I don't okay. see. I don't see the two of them fighting. I don't think there's enough time for it. Um, my guess is is that what you get in the next episode is kind of a organization after what just happened. Yeah, like, get your feet underneath. You're gonna you got to get your feet on your ground. You got to start to organize a little bit, um, and probably ends with them you know sailing and flying into King's Landing. And episode yeah. five is the siege of King's Landing. And that'll be a monster. Um, you know, there'll be a lot of things that happen there. And so that's it. You only have one episode left after that. Like, do you think is, that, you think is Bran, there enough time for those two to fight? Yeah. I want to ask you this. Do you think Bran's role in this series is done? Do you think he's finished? Like, he's just going to kind of chill out and, and the guy. No. And I don't, he, you know, he was such a Geppetto in this thing. You know, yeah. uh, he warged for so long and I don't know, you know, was he just the Ravens flying around getting an eye on where the Night King was? He was so calm when the I Night King had arguments came with people came online about this. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, I was looking at this and I rewatched the episode and it looks like the Ravens, some of them are carrying messages, like they're carrying something in their claws. And maybe, maybe that's just, you know, like crappy compositing and I couldn't see what was actually going on. Um, but I feel like he was still doing something. I, I really hope that his role in this is not done. I, I hope I there's something else that he was involved in. Um, Cause that would be, that would be pretty anticlimactic uh, for him just to be like, okay, yeah, we're good. Like, I don't see that happening. I so. feel like he outcoached the night King. I yeah. think he knew everything the night yeah. King was going to do. And he was a step ahead of him. Right. That's the feeling I had with it. Yeah. Which is cool. Like I, I like that, but I also don't want, you know, I want him to be able to continue to influence. I mean, he's, the Three-Eyed Raven is an incredibly, there's a lot of lore, there's a lot of history behind that. It's a really, really powerful connection to have throughout Westeros. Yeah. Um, one of the theories in the books is that the Three-Eyed Raven actually has the capability to see every part of Westeros through the uh, the weirwood trees. So mm-hmm. they're they're like physically like connected through those trees and like they they have this network where they can kind of just see everything through the crow's eyes that because crows gather on these trees and so he's essentially like the ultimate, you know, game master at this point. So um, like I said, I, I hope, I hope his role is not diminished because it, it's still a really fascinating character. And, and just to have him kind of like, you know, have his eyes roll back in his head for an hour and 20 minutes. I don't know if that's, that should not be the end for that character. So I want to, I see don't think it will be. What What's your gut feeling now? Three episodes to go. I don't, I mean, three seems like a lot. So I, I mean, I agree with you. The next episode is going to get a lot, you know, get your feet underneath you, but the, what the next episode is still like an hour and 20 minutes hour and a half right like that's wow i mean if they want to do john v danny then they would have to eliminate cersei in the next episode right so i don't know that's i mean i don't see that happening um i don't know i i really don't know what direct i mean i think Tyrion still has a really important role to play redemption of Tyrion seems like a lock yeah, so I, I think there's going to be something going down in King's Landing that he's going to be involved with still. I, I I think the final confrontation is between him and his sister. His his narrative has always been about his family. Like, what is his 
what is his stance towards his family and what is his responsibilities toward his family? So Jamie's still alive. He's still there. Tyrion's still alive. Cersei's still alive. There's a lot that you can play out with that storyline. And I think that's probably maybe not next episode, but the episode after that, that's going to be the central conflict is what is Tyrion going to do in King's Landing and how is he going to try to handle the legacy of his family? Um, I mean, the Mormonts are all gone. So like, it's another family dead. Oh, they're right? gone. There's no, well, I guess there's Gendry Baratheon. I guess he would be the head Baratheon. Um, right, you got one Baratheon left. There's, there's nobody Terrell in Dorne. There's no yeah, Terrell. Dorne, I mean, Dorne's gone. Yeah, Dorne. Right. There's no bosses. I mean, there's a Dornish army because she was right. going to go get him. Yara was going to go get him. So there is an army, but there's no, there's no bosses. They're all dead. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's almost a reset of the, of the clock of the chessboard. Really? I mean, it's, just a restarting of civilization and to a certain extent i would just one thing i don't know maybe you as a book reader can help me with this what are the limitations of dragons like do Ooh, they okay. need to do they need to recharge the fire or is it like an automatic weapon as long as as long as you keep pulling the trigger they keep launching it and the reason i ask is yeah. they could have been used so much more effectively in this battle had they just kind oh, of I know. that was frustrating yeah like they could have just stayed like at winterfell and just kind of been like helicopters and just shot the weights <laughs> one after another after another they um, should they could have been like in terms of the books yes they so drogon right he is basically a reincarnation of another dragon called Blarian the dread which is like this gigantic dragon that mm -hmm. blotted out the sun and whatever and um, in the early seasons, the they go to Harrenhal, right? Which is this gigantic castle. It's like the largest one in all of Westeros and it's falling apart. Well, the reason why it's falling apart is because Blarian the Dread blew it up. And he just basically spent like an entire day just setting everything on it in fire. So yeah, they, they could, like, as soon as those dragons are healthy, they're good to go. Okay, um, I ask because like a simple military victory would be John on a dragon, Danny on a dragon, fly to King's Landing, light Cersei on fire, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's stopping them from doing that, really. Like, right. I, you know. You so, know that they've got the harpoon guns. You've sure. seen them in battle. So you prepare for them. Right. Uh, you know, I feel like it, that's pretty simple. Yeah. I don't know how they would stop that. So, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of baffled. I'm, I'm as... I'm I'm really don't have I don't have a, a beat on it. I don't know where they could go from this because it you know in terms of military strength it, it seems like it's a lock. They should be able to take them down pretty easily. Now again they're they're super depleted in strength, but those dragons count for a lot. So yeah, Jeez, I don't know. I would think they would be fifty thousand men. Yeah, well you saw I mean we already saw them destroy like the entire fleet right. like, at Slavers Bay. It was pretty easy to do that. It didn't like yeah. twenty minutes. So. Yeah, like I feel like that's the way you just handle that, and that's it. I well, last thing um, on this, you and I, uh, we could do this for a long time, obviously, as you yeah. people are probably figuring out at this point. Um, there was there, the one complaint that I that bugged me a little bit was, well, and and I acknowledge I was surprised more significant people didn't die, but sure. I've heard a, a lot of complaints about that. But I think with the structure of three episodes left, if they kill off everybody you other than like five people, how do you fill it? Right. So, you know, these people, ha I think people thought, you know, I can't believe Grey Worm's still alive, for example. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, I, I kind of agree he should have died. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he should have died. Um, Brienne still alive is amazing. Gendry and Pod both still alive. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing, everybody who survived. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand some of the criticism with that because in the show, in the episode, they would cut to these, you know, these characters being completely overwhelmed. 
And then yeah. you'd go back and see something and they'd come back, cut back and they were like, Oh, we're still being overwhelmed, but we're fine. You know, like Podrick probably should have died. I can understand like, you know, Brianne or, or Jamie kind of fighting off and, and surviving. Podrick's not really an elite warrior of any kind. Uh, but it also, I mean, look, Jorah dies, Theon dies, Beric dies, uh, Lana Mormont dies, which is, you know, very sad. Um, Ed's dead, which sucks. Because I yeah. always hope, like, one of the running gags in the books is that Ed just keeps surviving these ridiculous situations that he should never survive. <laughs> so I, I right. really, I had always kind of hoped that this guy would have just survived till the very end of the series. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I get it. People wanted a huge body count because this is like the the big climactic, you know, battle for the dawn or whatever. But uh, yeah. you're right. Like, you, you can't kill every single character and then just go, okay, well, we've got John and Danny and we're just going to, we've got another, you know, right what like four hour four and a half hours to kill so it's a lot of a lot of show left yeah right yeah yeah you gotta keep uh, them all right well what an effort what an effort it was pretty thrilling stuff for an hour and 22 minutes i'll say yeah and every episode is going to be like that i mean it's not going to be a huge crazy battle but it's it's going to be these giant like movie length episodes every week uh it's crazy kind of amazing. nothing nothing has ever been attempted like this and it's it's kind of a like fascinating to watch just from that perspective. Nor will it ever again. I, it's interesting. I think two of the most um, ambitious things that have ever been attempted in entertainment: the Avengers saga with twenty oh, some movies, and I mean, what the fact you, that they've seen Endgame. Uh, no, I've seen um, I've seen probably only six or I, it's hard for me to get to movies, but I've seen okay, my I kids like yeah, that makes sense. So I've seen like the Iron Man's. I've seen a couple, one or two of the Iron Mans, a couple of Captain Americas. I've seen a couple of the Avengers. Yeah. I've probably seen the first two Avengers movies. Here's um, where I would connect the Avengers, like the end game and what just happened with Game of Thrones. The, the writing has to work really, really hard to be able to juggle all of these narratives and all yeah. these characters that your people are really invested in, like super invested in, right? Everybody's got their favorite. Everybody's got the, you know, the ideal end for all yeah. of these guys. And what uh, the Russos were able to do with, you know, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War and what you've seen it in Game of Thrones, it is an incredible balancing act to be able to do all that. And, and the writing in both of those things, to me, just in terms of balancing those characters and, and creating, you know, character arcs and whatnot has just been really incredible. Endgame, like it's a three-hour movie and you don't feel like a single second is wasted. And just yeah. that, that is incredibly impressive to me. As somebody who like, I try to write, right? Like I try to be good at it. And uh, I'm just in awe of what they were able to pull together. So it's pretty. Yeah. Cool. The ambition of both. You'll never see anything like either one again. No, you're never going to no. see like a 22 movie plan or whatever the hell it is. No, and you're never going to see, <laughs> and you're never going to see something like what game of Thrones has done. I mean, you right. never, they're, they're doing that prequel and they're casting it, but it's not going to be like this. No. I mean, there's just, no. there's no way that it can be. So, right. Um, all right. Good stuff, buddy. Um, three episodes to go. So we'll, uh, we'll have another one to break down next week. Yep, sounds good. See you next week.